You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, a vendor supplies a business with some sort of merchandise. Say the, uh, you know, the business buys uh, $10,000 uh, of merchandise on credit. And then when the invoice comes in, the merchant says to the supplier, listen, um, uh, I, I, I don't really want to excuse you. He says, I'm not really interested in paying the full amount. Um, if you are willing to accept $6,000, I'll pay that. Otherwise, you'll ju- just... And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll call it a day. So, is such a thing. so now, not having much of a choice... Because you'd rather have six thousand dollars than zero dollars, so you go ahead and you agree to the six thousand dollars. But obviously, you're going to be resentful that you ended up with uh, you know sixty cents on the dollar rather than the full uh, the full ten thousand dollars. So we're going to uh, see a little bit uh, tonight as far as what the uh, I don't think anybody here thinks that such a thing would be permitted. Although we'll actually see some sources which may point in that direction. But we'll see what the uh, exactly the uh, the issues are and uh, uh, Halacha's uh, perspective on this. Many of the people that we have spoken to about this uh, uh, told us that these are mice in that these are uh, incidents which happen on a regular basis, on a frequent uh, basis, uh, and sometimes uh, businesses go ahead and uh, sort of incorporate that into their price. Uh, into their uh, to, to, there's going to be a certain percentage of people. Who are going to uh, refuse to pay more than 60 cents on the dollar, 70 cents on the dollar, 50 cents on the dollar, and uh, so this is something which uh, you know some people already take take into account ahead of time. Okay, so in order to see this, we're going to begin with the a Gemara in Baba Kama. That's the first source that you have over here. There's a lot, we're skipping a lot of the Gemara, and there's a lot of it. The reason why we're skipping a lot of it is because in order to see it all, we'd have to have a whole preparation shear just on the halachas of Shortam and Shormuad, a non-convicted ox, we'll say, and a convicted ox of damaging. But we don't want to go into all of that. So we're just going to try and keep it, hopefully, uh, as simple and straightforward as we can, just so we can get to the, to the point. So here we go. Amar Mar. So the Bryce says as follows. So I go ahead and I uh, say, Mel, can I borrow your ox? And Mel says, sure, you can borrow my ox. She's a pleasure to have around. And then uh, while it's in my possession, it goes ahead and it kicks over Rabbi Hamawi's fence. Or, and then when it goes ahead and kicks over Rabbi Hamawi's fence, we go ahead, the police show up and say, oh, Weintraub's ox? She's been doing this for years and years and years. She's a muat. She's been convicted more than three times over, and she's just awful. So the halacha is, So the owner is going to have to pay for half of the damage. The owner, meaning Mel, is going to have to pay for half the damage. Vishoel and I, the borrower, I also have to pay half damages. One of the differences between a tam and a muat is, before the animal has been convicted of being dangerous. So you only have to pay by Xera Sakasa, by, uh, by divine decree, you only have to pay for half of the damages which are caused. It's been convicted three times already, specific uh, parameters of what that means. But once it's already crossed that line, so then you have to pay full damages. 
thought that the animal was calm, it was a tom, and I'm only responsible in the event that it damages for 50%. And it turns out Mel misled me, and he went ahead and gave me a muad animal. So he and I are going to split the damages. I only have to pay what I accepted, which is the tom, half of it, and Mel is going to have to cover the other. So the Gemara asks, why do I have to pay it all? Am I? Why am I the show more responsible? Because listen, I meant to borrow an ox. An ox by nature should be calm. You went ahead and effectively loaned me a lion. You, you loaned me a dangerous creature, not a calm creature. So since you misled me, why do I, if it was a regular, uh, a regular ox, you just put out some, or a bull or something, or a cow. So you just put out some grass, it walks around, it doesn't uh, harm anybody, doesn't hurt anybody, and it's, uh, it's fine. Now that you went ahead and gave me a different type of animal, I didn't realize it. Why should I have to pay anything? And there's a whole back and forth in the Gemara. That's what the three dots are going. But then part of the, the answer, which I end up giving in the middle of the discussion, is the reason, one reason, uh, one claim why I want to absolve myself of any financial uh, liability is I will say to Mel, listen, if it was up to me, Itamhu had the animal that you loaned me been a tom, would have been one of these calm, non-convicted animals. You know what I, me, Shaffle, what I could have done to get out of my responsibility? I would have gone ahead and taken this ox and I would have hid it away in some forest or some swampland where nobody would find it. And if you can't find the animal, then I'm not responsible for the damages. So in other words, I would have taken the animal I would have uh, I would have hit it. I would have sent it off to uh, you know some uh, some central uh, 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 Central American uh, country for a long vacation, and then while it was gone, so that uh, there'd be no place to be able to collect damages from, and then uh, I wouldn't have had to pay. So therefore, I'm claiming that I should not have to pay because I could have used this shtick by hiding the animal so that nobody would find it. That's what the Gemara says. Now comes along Tosos. Tosos right there on the page. He says, Tema. He says, this is shocking. What kind of what kind of claim is this that Shaffle is making? Because my whole claim is I would have done something illegal. I would have done something illegal by hiding away Mel's bull so that nobody should find it. And in order to get myself out of having to make any payment whatsoever. So since when is it considered to be a legal claim, a legal defense to say, well, I could have done something illegal and by doing something illegal, I would have gotten out of my responsibility and therefore I don't want to have to pay. So Tulsa says at the end, nearly Shirot Lomer. What the Gemar means to say is what I'm really claiming is that knowing that I could go ahead and if, I, if, if my back is up against the wall, I could just make the, uh, the bull disappear and then nobody's going to collect any money. So you know what the, you know what Rabbi Hamawi is going to do knowing that I have that option? So he'll agree to some sort of pshara. He'll agree to some sort of compromise. He knows that if he says to me, listen, you got to pay me $5,000 for the fence you knocked over. I say $5,000, you got to, well, with all due respect, Rabbi Hamawi, you got to be out of your mind. I'm not going to pay you $5,000 for, for this fence. You know what? I'm going to just go ahead and I'm going to, the, this ox is going to disappear and you're going to get nothing. 
So Rabbi Hamawi, who knows, who's learned Dafyomi, who knows halacha perfectly well, he doesn't want to push me against the wall like that, knowing that that will cause me to, uh, that I have the option to make the bull just sort of disappear, like in the mafia or something like that. So therefore, Vahayamochali, and he would be willing to forego some of the claim. He would have accepted $1,000 rather than $5,000. And therefore, my claim to Mel is, since I could have arranged things that I could make up Shara, and you went ahead and, because you gave me a Muan animal rather than a Tom animal, for technical reasons, that's no longer a possibility. So that leaves me, uh, that leaves me, responsible for something which I should not be uh, held accountable so, for. So are you saying that a muad can't be hidden? Right, because one of the differences between Tom and muad is Tom, you only pay for the damage out of the value of the animal which damaged. By muad, if necessary, you even pay out of pocket. So if it was muad, even if I hide the animal away, it doesn't get me off the hook. I got to write a check either way. Got Tom, it. If, okay. the animal, if the animal were to suddenly have a mysterious grabber and just die, so then too bad, so sad on the on the Maui's. I'll give them the, the carcass of the animal, and that's all they get. Okay. Now, actually, before we see these sources, we're going to jump ahead and then go backwards. So here you have the truest Marie Bruna. The Marie Bruna looks at this Tosos, the Tosos we just read, the same Gemara and the same Tosos we just read. And this is now where it swings around to our discussion. And he says, Alma, the principle that we take from Tosos over here is, I could force another party into a compromise. I could twist his arm. I could paint him into a corner. So he really has no choice. Making an offer he can't refuse so that he accepts the pshar offering, the compromise offering. Even if halachically I owe the Applesons $1,000, if I could go ahead and pull off some sort of stick to say why it is to force them to compromise and accept $500 rather than $1,000, the Marie Bruna says, from this Tostos, it seems evident that that's okay. And then he says, the opposite is also true. The case, um, actually, you know what? We're not even going to do the We'll just see, for simplicity, we're going to leave it over here. So Marie Bruna says from this Tosos that if I could go ahead and I could do something to cause you to agree to a pshara, so I am uh, able to use such a, I'm able to use such a, a tactic in order to be able to accomplish that goal, as long as at the end of the day, you agree to that pshara, you agree to the compromise, that's all I need to do. I just need to get you to, in a sense, sign on the dotted line that you're going to accept 50 cents on the dollar. Once you agree, I've taken care of my responsibility because ultimately you agreed. Once you agree, you agree. So are you saying it's mutter to, to not pay what you owe? That doesn't that's make what, sense. That's what the Marie Bruna is saying because you, the, the, uh, you're, if you agree to accept 50 cents on the dollar, then you agree. But after you already you used the product, you already borrowed the money, you already whatever um, took advantage of what the terms were, you can change the terms after the fact? Yeah, the, the, you could always refuse the pshara. You could try and refuse the pshara. You could take me to Basin. See how that goes for you. I mean, so something just doesn't seem right about this. In, indeed, indeed. 
you're not alone. As, as we're going to see, you have uh, a number of great Rishonim who are uh, who see things similar to you. So let, let, let's see one of them again before we go back. So this is the Truma Sadashim. Truma Sadashim is asked this type of question. Uh, people are filing a claim against Ruvain, saying to Ruvain, Ruvain, you owe us ten thousand dollars. And Ruvain is looking for different ploys and tactics and techniques and excuses against the claimants. I don't know how to pronounce the word, and he's going to use all sorts of uh, methodologies in order that they'll agree to a pshara. They'll take some percentage of what's actually owed, and he's going to twist their arm till they agree to some sort of pshara, and they'll be mochel the rest. So the question posed to the Truma Sadeshin was, are you allowed to go ahead and do it? Is Ruvain allowed to do this? Is he allowed to twist the arm of those who have a claim against him until they agree to a pshara? Knowing, and Ruvain knows perfectly well, he owes the full amount. He's not disputing that he owes that amount. He's just going to say, listen, if I could go ahead and I could get myself out of it a little bit, so if I could save myself 10%, 20%, 30%, that's more money in my pocket. And at least they agree to the mechila. They agree to, uh, to this pshara. So they, if they agree, they agree. Says the Truma Sedeshin, Yira Pshita Upshita. So it's not just Pasha, it's not just obvious. It's obviously obvious. Gavna. Truma Sedeshin says, there's no, there's no allowance for this. There's no permission to go ahead and do this. He says, God forbid, should anybody with any sense of Yira Shemaim even search to find a heter to allow somebody to go ahead and force uh, a compromise uh, and not pay what is actually owed. How do we know that that's true? The Tanya, the Gemara, the Brisa teaches, the Perk Shua Sa'edus. It says, an amazing case. It says, You have three people, uh, each of whom, let's say, loaned Ruven, uh, Shimon, uh, and uh, Levi. Loaned Yehuda, they each loaned Yehuda a thousand dollars. So Yehuda owes Ruben a thousand dollars, Shimon a thousand dollars, and Levi a thousand dollars. And Yehuda's refusing to pay. Now, Ruben doesn't have any witnesses that he loaned Yehuda a thousand dollars, Shimon doesn't have any witnesses, and Levi doesn't have any witnesses. So it's it's word against word. And Yehuda is adamantly saying, I don't know any of you guys any money whatsoever. You all could jump in the lake, I don't care. So they're out of luck, right? Too bad, so sad on Ruben, Shimon, and Levi. They made the fatal error of loaning money without any documentation and out in, uh, without any witnesses. And too bad, so sad. That's going to be the ultimate too bad, so sad. So they say, you know what? Let's be smart about this. We're going to go ahead and we're going to role play. Ruvain, you're going to be the tovea. You'll be the claimant. Levi and Yehuda, you'll be the witnesses. And you guys will testify to the fact that Ruvain loaned Yehuda $3,000. And then once their witnesses, Yehuda will have to pay the $3,000. And then each of us will split the money and we'll all get the money which is owed to us. Seems reasonable for Ruvain, Shimon, and Levi. They're, they're, they're truly owed that money. And the only way they're going to be able to get it is to put together this scene where Levi and Yehuda will not be claimants against Yehuda. They'll just be witnesses for Ruvain and Ruvain will, will file for the full amount. 
So the Gemara says, how do we know that in such a case, how do we know that you can't have Ruvain be the claimant on, of record? And then Shimon and Levi will be the witnesses so that they could recover their money and then split it between them. Because the Torah says, never tell a lie, whatever the song is, uh, the marvelous Midas machine. So you, the Torah says that you have to go ahead and you are not allowed to go ahead and lie about such a thing. And therefore, even though that Ruvain, Shimon, and Levi, Levi are, are, are pursuing money which they are actually owed, they're not allowed to use a lie in Bastin in order to be able to recover that money. So says the Chuma Sadashin, so if that halacha of the Gemara is true, that Reuven, Shimon, and Levi can't do this shtick to recover money which is actually owed to them, and they're just lacking sufficient proof. So from this, we can make the Kavachomer. If in the Gemara's case, where Reuven, Shimon, and Levi are actually owed that money, and nonetheless, Chazal make the drasha from Midvar Sheker Shirchak that you're not allowed to lie and do shtick in order to recover money which actually is yours. All the more so are you not allowed to do shtick to not pay money which you actually owe. If you can't use shtick to recover money which you are owed, certainly it's going to be us or to go ahead and use shtick to refuse to pay money with, or to withhold money which you genuinely owe somebody else. And anybody who employs such techniques and tactics the only way that this is going to be accomplished at some point is going to involve a lie. And therefore, so to go ahead and to do any sort of threat or refuse to pay or whatever it happens to be to get out of paying money that you owe to force the other party to a, into a compromise. So the Truma Sedeshin says, inevitably, it's going to violate the issue of Midvar Sheker Tirchak. And he says, He says, doing such a thing is going to involve an Isra Daraisa. And how he says a funny thing, he says, He says, the truth is, there was no reason for me to even search through the 2,711 pages of Shas in order to be able to find proof and evidence the fact that this is Asr. Like Art said, it's so obvious from just simple logic and simple straightforward thinking, nobody could possibly think that this is okay. Therefore, this is this is just not going to fly. So Truma Sadeshin is very clear, abundantly clear, that he does not allow such a thing to uh, to take place. And we have also have the Truma Sarashva. The Rashva also addressed a similar type of question. This one may sound a little bit more familiar. You may know people who have experienced this, uh, th- this type of thing. But he says, uh, Sha'alta, your question is, Ruvain, Hifkid below Shtar below Adam. Once again, he made that fatal error of trusting the other party. Don't trust anybody in business. So, but Ruvain went ahead and he trusted Shimon and he gave him money without any documentation, without a star, without any witnesses to the fact that he gave Shimon this money. 
Most alvosim beribis. It was a business investment. Shimon was going to go ahead and loan money to non-Jews and collect interest. So Ruvain is investing in Shimon's loan business, and Ruvain was expecting to get back his principal with a nice uh, a nice profit. They were going to do some uh, hard money loans, or they're going to do some merchant cash advance where the interest rate is through the roof. And Ruvain said, "You know what? I'll make a, I'll make some quick uh, some quick cash on this on this deal." But he forgot to uh, to cross his T's and dot his I and to have yet documentation that he gave Shimon some money. And after a period of time, Amrei love, Tainli Ruvain says to Shimon, you know what? I'm calling back my investment. I want the principal plus the profit which, which I made. Shimon says, I don't know what you're talking about. We've never done business before. I don't have any money of yours. I don't know where you're getting this, uh, this, uh, this crazy claim from, but uh, you got nothing on me. But, says Shimon, no, Shimon knows perfectly well that he does have the money, but he says to Reuben, you know what, I'll do you a favor. <laughs> Shimon's a tzaddik over here. He says, mechilas shamay mechilas brios. He says, do me a favor. I want you to promise that you're going to be mochel me, both as far as shamayim and here on earth. I want a full mechila, and if you are willing to grant me a full mechila, I'll give you a hundred bucks. We don't know exactly how much was loaned, but let's say Ruven gave Shimon a thousand dollars, and Shimon says, "Listen, if you're willing to be mochami in Shemayim and personally, I'll pay you a hundred bucks for that mechila. But if not, I'm just going to deny the whole thing. You've got no evidence, you've got no proof, you'll recover nothing. So if you want to get something out of the deal, so you'll agree to be mochami for the other nine hundred dollars. And hereby, love Ruven Rainblow Ilu." And Ruvain tried pulling out all of his protexia to uh, pressure Shimon to go ahead and admit it and to pay, and he was completely unsuccessful. And Ruvain saw, listen, the playing field is Shimon is the kofer bakol. Shimon is denying this uh, this claim that I have against him entirely. He's not admitting to anything whatsoever, and I've got no proof. I've got no evidence that I've, that he owes me any money whatsoever. And therefore, he goes home, discusses it with his wife. His wife says, first of all, you're a yachts because you went ahead and you loaned him money without uh, any evidence and without, uh, without a star, without witnesses. But we have no choice. We, why should we suffer a complete loss on principle over here? So Ruben said, you know what? I have no choice. It's either I'm going to lose $1,000 or I'll lose $900. I'd rather lose $900 than $1,000. So if I have no choice, I'll be mochalu. Yes, mochalach, mochalach, mochalach. Now give me my check for hundred dollars. At least I have that. The question is: Now that Shimon has Ruvain's mechila, Ruvain said, "Yes, I'm being mochalu fully." Shimon Kippur time. Now does Shimon does could he sit comfortably and saying, "Listen, I've got nobody with any claims against me whatsoever because Ruvain was already mochalmi." Or uh, is Shimon going to be in trouble because he twisted Ruvain's arm until Ruvain agreed to this uh, to this pshara? Because the only reason why he agreed is because his arm was twisted. So that was a question posed to the uh, to the Rashma, similar type of question as the uh, as the Chumas Hadashim. And the Rashma responds also says Dvarim Elu Berurim. It says this matter is so crystal clear. Shimon is not off the hook in Shemaim. 
he better go ahead and make amends here on earth because if uh, if he reaches 120 and he goes up to Shemayim for the Din HaGadol Vahanora, so they are not going to be happy and he'll probably come back as a slug or something like that. Shalokasav lo Ruvain elamitoch haones. Because the only reason Ruvain agreed to be Mochel Shimon is because he had no choice. He was an onus. It was either lose a thousand dollars or lose nine hundred dollars. So who's not going to make the choice to lose only nine hundred dollars? And says the Rashba, which is what I'm sure all of you are thinking. He says, "Vilu golzos chaver mano." Let's say I go ahead and I go up to uh, to Ralph. Uh, I go up to Ralph uh, and I say, "Ralph, uh, here's I got a gun in my hand. I want a hundred dollars." So Ralph says, "Okay, I, I can't fight against the I can't fight against that." And he gives me the hundred dollars. And now Ralph says, okay, now leave me alone. I said, no, no, no. I still continue to hold the gun to his head. I say, I want you to be mochel me also. So here, I just stole $100 from him. And now with the same gun and the same bullet, I'm threatening him until he goes out and he's mochel me. Would anybody say that that's going to be a mechila? That's absurd. I'm being forced into the mechila the same way I'm being forced to give up the $100. That's what gzela is, is it's a threat to my life. And I give you the money. There's no mechila in there. Continues the Rashba. He says, think about it, just think about it logically. I go ahead and I go to uh, to Tzachi now, we'll pick on. And I go ahead and I steal uh, Tzachi's land. So Tzachi has a, a, an acre of land over there. And I go ahead and I forcibly throw him off of the land. And then I say, you know what? I'll make you a deal. I will go ahead and uh, if you agree to sell me half an acre, I'll give you back the other half. So once again, Sachi says, what choice do I have? I, I don't have much of a choice over here. In the agreement is, I'll give you back the other one if you agree to sell me the first part. So, does anybody think that when I twisted Sachi's arm in such a way and he agrees to sell me half of that, that that's a valid sale? You're stealing half of it, and then you're saying, I'll give you back half of the money I stole if you're willing to be mochami on the part which I keep. That's crazy, says Rashi. That's not a mechila. And he says, This case is exactly the same. He went ahead, Shimon stole from Ruvain effectively $200, and he said, I'll give you back 100 on condition that you're mochami the other 100 so Rashi says that Shimon has no forgiveness whatsoever. He's still a Gazlan. He's still in possession of somebody else's money. Shalokidin, and the fact that uh, that Ruvain agreed to be Mochel in order to get back his hundred, so that is completely meaningless. Okay. Now, before how we see this is Paskin, now we're going to go back. And um, okay, so I need to give you uh, a little bit of background. For this uh, this din in Shulchanach over here, this uh, this line which we're going to read. So the Gemara says it's a Gemara Baba Basra. Gemara says a, a, an amazing thing, which is Tuluya If I go ahead, Art will use you now. I go ahead and I say to Art, listen, I really like your car and I want you to sell it to me. And Art says it's not for sale. I, I like my car. It's a relatively new car. I like it. And I go ahead and I pressure, I pressure, I pressure. And I threaten him. I say, listen, Art, either you sell me the car or I will, uh, you know, uh, you know, you, I won't be able to protect you from those people who would damage 
need your car. Like the, like, like the mob in the good old days. So uh, you need to sell me this car. Otherwise, I can't promise you that uh, when you wake up in the morning that the car won't be iced into place and you'll never be able to move it. So through pressure, I convince Art to go ahead and sell me his car and I pay him fair market value for the car. So the halacha is tuluv is zavin. Tuluv means to suspend somebody, to hang somebody, but means to threaten them. So if I threaten Art to sell me his car, and as a result of the threats, he agrees to sell it to me. At the end of the day, that's a valid sale. I'm over. Rabbi Sheffel, yeah. yeah. isn't that low tach mode? Yes, I was just going to say that. I may be over low tach mode. Okay. I may be over vahavta l'recha kamocha. We could, we could have a, a long list, a long rap sheet of benal mechavero isurim, which I violated, as Charlene said. But nonetheless, in pure chosha mishpat, when Art finally agrees to sell me the car and I pay him fair market value for the car, at the end of the day, the sale is a good sale because he got his money's worth. So he didn't want to do it, but rather than face my threats, it made sense for him at that point to go ahead and sell it because at least he's getting fair market value. So when I force somebody to sell me something, so it's a good sale, but there's a, there's a contrasting case to that. Tulu v'yahiv, if I go ahead and I force Steve Krinsky to go ahead and give me a matana, that is, that's not a good matana. So a forced sale is valid. A forced, um, uh, a, a forced gift is not a gift. What's the reason? So we say, dafka, uh, so here we're going to jump around. So the Sma says in the name of the tour, the Dafka Lagabi Mechar Amrinan. So the only time if I force a transaction, the transaction is going to be recognized in Halacha is only by a sale. Why? Because at the end of the day, Art ended up with fair market value for his car. He wasn't planning on selling it, but he did get fair market value for the car. So as a result of the fact that he got his money's worth, and he didn't want to continue for me to pester him or pressure him or threaten him. So Gummer Makni, so he said, you know what? The car isn't worth it. It's not that important to me. I'll buy another one. If I'm getting the same amount of money anyways, I'm getting its fair market value. So with that money, I could go ahead and buy another one if I want. So that's why Tzulu Vizvini. So the Tzulu Vizavin, Zvine Zvini. But Masha'en came by Matana Umechila. But if I go ahead and I force Steve, give me a Matana, or I forced Steve to forgive a loan, forgive a, a loan which I owe him. So that, in that case, you can't say that since Steve agreed, it's going to be binding, because if Steve doesn't get anything on the deal, then it's just um, extortion. If you get value, so it's not what you wanted, but at least you got fair market value, and then you can agree to sell it. But if you get nothing out of the deal, then it's just straight up extortion. Straight up extortion does not make for a valid Kenyan. That's what the that's what the Gemara says. So now says Shochanar that Pshara Bina Kemecher that if I go ahead if we make a compromise, um, uh, we uh, we uh, we as we're going to see that there's a claim which I have against Stu and Stu only admits to part of the claim and we negotiate some sort of compromise. So that's going to be the same thing as a mecher. That's the same thing as a sale. What that means effectively is that it's going to be binding even if somebody was backed into it. 
right? We said, if when I force Art to sell me the car, since there's consideration, so it makes for a binding transaction, it makes for a binding uh, a Kenyan of, of the car. So Pshara, compromise works the same way. And if somebody's forced into a compromise, it's also going to be a binding uh, agreement, which both parties now have to, uh, have to follow. Why is that so? So here the Sma says, the whole he bought He says the set explains the Sma. Let's go ahead and trace exactly how a pshara works. The pshara works because, in our example, I go to Stu and I say to Stu, you owe me a thousand dollars. Shomer, I say to him, lo kach I say you owe me a thousand dollars. the defendant, he goes at towing, He says, I don't know what you're talking about, I don't owe you anything. I claim he owes me a thousand dollars. He says, I don't owe you anything. And now we agree on a pshara at five hundred dollars. So what does that mean? Nimsa shapshara nashanasis benehem. So when Stu and I agree to this pshara of five hundred dollars, the koechad mevate mitanosav. So each one of us is foregoing partially our claim. I'm saying I want a thousand. That Stu owes me a thousand dollars. I'm willing to accept $500. So I'm going to forego $500 of my claim. Stu, from his end, says, I owe you nothing. I will pay you $500, which I don't really owe you. So he's giving up a little bit on his denial. I'm giving up a little bit on my claim. So since each of us is giving a little bit, then we're meeting in the middle somewhere. So that's what a pshar is. So I'm being mocha a little bit of my claim. I went from a thousand down to five hundred. Stu is being mocha from his perspective, a full denial, saying, "Okay, I'll pay you five hundred dollars to just leave me alone." So when that happens, so then it's going to be similar to a sale. There's, that's the same consideration. I'm giving a little bit, and that's why uh, it's the, the, uh, I'm giving a little bit. Stu is giving a little bit. Since each of us is giving, it's the same thing as when I forced. Art to go ahead and sell me his car by paying him far make, far make, fair market value for that car. Because it's similar to the case of the car where Art ends up giving me his car, I end up giving him the value, the money for the car, and we both walk away with something of value. It may not be exactly what we wanted, but everybody got something which is fair. So from here, it would seem, if we go back to this halach over here, where it says cheap pshara dina kemecher, the compromise is in the same category as a sale. So this seemingly goes against what we said from the truma sadeshin and the rashba, because here we're saying that a pshara is that somebody who's forced into a pshara, it's a binding agreement. Well, no, that's I, not what you wanted Actually, it doesn't go against anything. Even in the case of me with the car. We agreed that it's usher for the person to force me to sell the car. So he did something usher, but the sale is still valid. And 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 so the same thing here. You, you know, the guy forcing him into a compromise did something usher. The the transaction may be valid, but he he still um, did an isser that he's got to worry about in Shamayim. Right, but the the, the the difference is the case of the car. I don't have to return to you the car. It was a valid Kenyan on the car. And the, the car is mine, and you don't have any financial claim against me. I'm a bad guy because I violated Los Achmod of Haftal Recha Kamocha and all sorts of Benalum Lachaveru type of stuff. But as far as the Choshem Mishpat is concerned, 
concerned. So it ends up being a binding transaction. Right. And that is it. In the Rashford, we're saying that if I force you to compromise, to forego some of your claim, I haven't even taken care of the financial claim you have against me. I'm essentially still a Goslin. The question is, why is it, why is it still a gazela from the Truma Sadeshin and the, uh, and the, uh, and the Rashford's perspective if Shara is, we just said, is the same thing as a Mecher? So in Chosha Mishpat, it should be binding. Yes, Mel, you had your hand up? In, in the last case, nobody was lying, right? I was pressuring you that I that I didn't owe you, but I wasn't lying that I didn't owe you. Correct. Or was I lying? No. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I hope you're not accusing me of lying. No, no, no. It, <laughs> the case before, the person was lying. In this case, you don't say that the person is lying. Correct. I'm thinking he's telling the truth. Right. Correct. Oh, so yeah, right. Okay, very good. So what, what Mel is suggesting is that there's a difference between these two two types of pshara which are going on over here. The case that the Rashma and the Chuma Sadashan are addressing is where I, let's say the defendant, I know perfectly well that I owe you the money. So that in terms of what the, the actual halach is, I acknowledge, not that I would do so in basin, but I acknowledge that I actually owe you the money. I'm just going to force your hand to go ahead and agree to a settlement for less than the amount which I owe. And I'm going to use shtick. I'm going to employ some sort of shtick and some sort of threat in order to accomplish that. The case which the, uh, the, uh, the, this halacha, which we just read from Simon uh, Reish Hay Siv Gimel, where it says, Pshara Dina Kemecher, that's talking about where I make a claim against Stu for $1,000. Stu actually denies that he owes me the money. It's not that he admits that he owes me the money and he's twisting my arm into accept a pshara. He uh, sincerely believes he doesn't owe me the money at all. So that's a different type of pshara. One, the pshara is in the case where I, I, I sincerely believe Stu owes me $1,000. He sincerely believes that he does not owe me the $1,000. If we meet somewhere in the middle, that's where both of us are giving up a little bit of our claim. But if I claim you owe me $1,000 and you say, yeah, I owe you $1,000, just try and collect from me. And since you're never going to do so, I'm only paying you $500. So then you're not foregoing anything, right? You're not giving up from your position at all. Your position really was you owe me the $1,000 and you're going from $1,000 scaling it back to zero. So when you go from zero to 500, that's a pshara. That's an agreement where you're giving a little bit of your claim. But here, when you agree you owe the $1,000 and you're saying, but I'm only going to pay you $50,000, it's going in the wrong direction. And that's why, that's what the Rashba and the Chuma Sadeshan are referring to. That type of pshara is never going to work. That's what they say cannot work at all. That's what you meant, Mel? Exactly. Excellent. Excellent. So let, let's see this now in Shulchan Aruch. So Shulchan Aruch actually paskins. We can see it explicitly. He says, Misha Tovinoso over here, Misha Tovinoso Mamon, Shumuchzakbo. This is this part is taken straight from the Chuma Sadashan, summary of the Chuma Sadashan. I go ahead and um, uh, somebody, uh, Mel, is making a claim against me. I'm not, it's prohibited for me to use shtick to get out of the uh, my responsibility, my liability, uh, my debt. In order to twist Mel's arm, 
to go ahead and agree to a compromise and be mochel 50% of the debt. So again, Mel agrees that he actually owes me, or I agree that I actually owe Mel the thousand dollars. I'm just going to try and use some shtick to get him some arm twisting and some pressure to get him to agree to be mochel. But nobody's, uh, but I'm not foregoing, I'm uh, uh, sorry, uh, 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 I'm not foregoing on my claim. I agree that really I owe the thousand dollars. I'm just forcing a compromise to also go from a thousand to five hundred. That's absolutely awesome. That was the true message that was awesome. And then the Ramah adds the Rashba. And he says, in the event that I did use shtick in order to force Mel to be mocho, uh, the, uh, the amount oh. which he owes, except 50 cents on the dollar, even though Mel agreed, the claim in Shemaim still exists against me until I pay him the remaining $500. So I haven't accomplished anything by getting him to agree to be mocho. Uh, until I actually pay him. So that's the case where it's going to be absolutely aser. And says, we'll just read this one part of the Shulchan Acharav. And he says, Shulchan Acharav adds that I can't use shtick to get out of my financial responsibility to pay Mel, even if I'm able to accomplish this without having to utter one lie whatsoever. He built part of his proof was on the fact that he said, inevitably, you're going to have to lie to, in order to do that. And therefore, if you have to lie, midvar sheker tirchak, you should always uh, stay away from a lie. Shulchan Acharav says, you know what? Even if the, the person, the defendant is creative enough that he doesn't have to ever lie in order to accomplish his goal of forcing the other party into a compromise, still, it's still going to be absolutely absurd to use any sort of shtick to uh, make the person uh, 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 to get out of your responsibility, which you actually owe. And that's just, it's just not, it's just not allowed. He says that to get the other person to have a mechila. Anybody who's done construction on their home, so you know that the, the fear at the end of the project is that you paid the contractor enough money and it's not worth it for him anymore to finish up those last few things. Whatever's on your, your last, your, uh, your, what's that list called at the end? Punch list. Your punch list. So it's, it's, not, worth, it's not worth his time for the punch list. And he says, you know what? Uh, you, you, you'll pay me $500 less than the whole project was worth. Okay, jump, take me to Basin. You know, sue me to get the, the, you know, to force me to go ahead and finish that last uh, stuff. And they know perfectly well that there's a threshold which they cross and which the homeowner is, it's not going to be in their interest to, to pursue it. And they can move on to the next job. Why should they go ahead and spend any time finishing off these little minor things uh, on, on your punch list when they could go ahead and get a new job, which is going to pay them $50,000? Why would they uh, waste their time doing that? So the Shulchan Acharav, based on Shulchan Aruch, and the uh, the Trumasadesh and the Rashma say to employ such such a tactic like that, even though you're not lying. The, the contract I'm not picking on contractors necessarily, but even if the contractor says he doesn't lie at all, he says, "Yeah, I owe you the money. Take me to Basin if you want to collect." And he knows it's not worth your time. It's not worth your energy. It's not worth the aggravation. It's not worth any of the uh, any of that whatsoever. And you're just not going to do it. So even to do that is not a mechila, and uh, the person is going to expect that whatever time there's going to be a din from Shemayim, they're going to come after you for, uh, Shemayim is going to expect you to pay that, uh, that money, even without lying. Now, one last thing that uh, is worthwhile to know, 
because although we came down very hard to say that using these types of techniques, even if something which is common in the business, in the business world, and people do it all the time, is not going to make it mutter and halacha, but there is a scenario where it may be possible to employ uh, uh, um, uh, a similar type of technique. It's a different scenario, and that's why the halacha will change, but uh, there is a, a slight variation of the case. And this is from this, it's a sefer called Seder Hadin. It's a, it's a sefer about Dine Torah and whatnot. So he says, he writes as follows. Let's say, this is similar to the Gemara's case. I know that Sachi owes me 250 bucks. I, I know that. But I don't have witnesses. I don't have evidence. I can't prove my claim from emails or texts or anything of, of, of that sort. So, so I say to, uh, to uh, so Tzachi says, take me to Basin. So I have deep pockets. I say, yeah, I'll take you to Basin. And if you're going to Basin, so you're going to need to bring with you a lawyer and you're going to pay a lawyer, whatever his lawyer's uh, rate is in order to defend you in Basin. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to, is I'm going to delay which forces you to have to keep paying for the lawyer again and again. And I'm going to say, that basin I don't approve of, that person on the basin, that's my cousin's best friend's neighbor's whatever, and therefore he's disqualified from being able to serve as a judge. And you just use you know, lawyer techniques to delay. And I do all of that, get Sachi to ultimately agree to pay me what he owes me, not even all of what he owes me. I claim he owes me $500. I'm going to use all sorts of pressure so that eventually he'll agree to pay me $500, which I am, I, I, I'm actually owed. I am owed that money. He just doesn't want to pay it. And I use these tactics in order to be able to recover the money which is actually owed to me. So that is okay. In other words, to use any of these tactics or any of these ploys to get out of paying money that you owe, that's absolutely usher. To use these tactics or these ploys to get the other party to pay you the money which you are owed, that the Seder Adin says is okay. However, like the Gemara told us, in, it, in, my, in my effort, in my, uh, the tactics which I choose in those ploys, I should not be use any lies whatsoever. I'm not allowed to lie in the process. I feel Even if that means that I'm not going to, I'm going to end up losing some money by not lying, I'm still not allowed to go ahead and employ a lie or utilize a lie in order to recover the money which I'm actually owed. That was the Gemara that uh, that we saw that the Shuma Sadash mentioned. And certainly I should not do something which is going to make the Dayanim look at me as if I am a Russia even though my intent is sincere because I'm just trying to recover the money which I'm owed, why should I go ahead and have to suffer this loss? But nonetheless, to, to lie in order to accomplish that task or to make myself into a Russia in the eyes of the Dayanim, that should be avoided. But in order to recover your money, so there's a, a certain amount of flexibility that will exist in that scenario uh, as opposed to using any one of these tactics in order to get out of paying the money which you, uh, which you actually owe. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. 
you don't miss a single episode.